Welcome to Lost in Translations, I'm your host Michael. In this episode we are going over the reading highlights with my guest Agnes from Beyond the Epilogue. Welcome back to Lost in Translations. I am joined again with Agnes, who has been on here three times already. Welcome. Yeah, (laughs) thanks for having me back again. (laughs) Yeah, I just realised before we started, it's like, it's been three times this year. Yeah, (laughs) a regular. (laughs) That's that's all right. You're not the most regular, so, but you're getting up there. But this time (laughs) we just want to look at our highlights of the year kind of just to a reading wrap-up almost Mm -hmm. how was your reading year um i think it was a very good reading year i think i read uh, more books this year than last year especially uh translated stuff and also like in terms of favorites i think i read a lot of uh books that kind of got into my top i don't know 20 you know, favorite books of all time, maybe even. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. I think I added a few favorites. I think apart from doing the Man Booker long list, I think there was a lot of books that were where I just read it because I thought I was going to really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like, mm-hmm. like sometimes you feel like, oh, I need to read this book because it's popular or need to read this book because it's something that people are talking about. But this year I focused more on what I wanted to read. Yeah, I try I try to do it um, in a way where there's a balance between like yeah. backlist stuff and the new stuff because I know that I usually get distracted by all the new releases. Yep, it's easy to do. <laughs> yeah. Because you compile a list of all the books that are coming out each month. Sure. That that is a big factor. <laughs> I mean, every time I do it, I add like I don't know ten more books to my TBR, and just think, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to manage a TBR. That'd be a useful skill. <laughs> I think most of us book lovers don't know how to do that. <laughs> I think it's one of the marks of being a, a book lover that you just have like this insane TBR list that, you know, you're not going to get to all of them, but, you know, you hope. <laughs> Apart from the Man Booker International Prize, was there any other set reading that you um, did? I read uh, some from the Best Translated Book Award long list and also the National Book Award for Translated Literature uh, list and uh, of course uh, uh, the women in translation month you know I read stuff for yeah. that oh and of course uh, we started our book club on Goodreads for the best after, 100 yeah. yeah 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 I so. think that was like one of the best things to come out this year you know like this crowdsourced list of the 100 best women in translation because I think yeah. I, I hope there you know um, it's going to be compiled maybe in, in maybe next year or in two years or something because it would be interesting to see how that list uh, changes you know with time yeah. because of course there were a lot of recent releases there yeah it'd be interesting I don't know if she needs to do it next year but every couple of years it'd be good to get an updated list yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of which books from my favourites were from that list, but I think I've got a few. Mm-hmm. What was, let's look at some of our favourites. What were some of your favourites? We'll go one at a time, I guess. Yeah, okay. Talk about some of, because uh, I think we've got overlap anyway, so. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go first? Okay, uh, so... Um... My first pick would be actually one that we did for the podcast. Uh, that's The Aviator by Eugene Vodolaskin. It was translated mm-hmm. by Lisa Hayden. So uh, yeah. we did this whole episode on this book and we read it like 
at the beginning, I think, of the year. And already yeah. at that time, I, I, I was thinking, okay, this is probably going to be one of my top reads of the year. You know, although it was like January, I think. <laughs> yeah, we read it in January. Yeah, so I really liked it. Uh, it surprised me because, you know, uh, these time travel stories have been done, you know, a lot in different mediums. Uh, but what was interesting with this one that it took this kind of, you know, philosophical standpoint and it commented on, you know, the the breakup of uh, the Soviet Union and the kind of changes that, happened in the in uh, uh, Russia after the collapse uh, so yeah um, I really love this book and I'm still kind of you know I have it pretty fresh in my mind which is unusual because you know when you read so many books in the year they kind of start you know blend together <laughs> almost yeah that was like a hundred books ago yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't put that one on my list because I thought you would have it on yours. <laughs> <laughs> I cheated there. Yeah. In fact, I think I've only got one male author on my list, which is mm. which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I've read a lot of women in translation this month. Mm -hmm. The first did, one, probably did, the did, biggest highlight. Yeah. I was Sorry. wondering, uh, did you read maybe more women in translation this this year than than men? Like just in terms Absolutely. of translations. Hmm. Yeah. I think uh, according to my spreadsheet without loading it up, I think I'm ninety three percent translations mm. and about sixty, maybe a bit more than sixty for women in translation. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> well, I've tried to focus on it and it's been a good year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So what was your kind of first pick? Uh, this one's probably on your list as well. It's The Years mm, by Annie yes. Andrew, which was translated by Lisa Strayer. Mm -hmm. This one won the Warwick Prize for Women in Translation as well. So, Yeah, and that since, whole shortlist was awesome. I know. Like, it was an amazing <laughs> shortlist. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be able to pick, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, these are amazing. They, all, all of these, like, uh, shortlisted books were just among my favorites. I'm not going to lie. I was hoping Disoriental would win, but I'm happy well, with the as well. <laughs> <laughs> How could we not mention Disoriental on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a, yeah, so what I liked about the years is it was, I think it was a memoir. A lot of people are going to say it's not a memoir, but I feel like it was definitely really part of her journey and her life. And it felt very personal the way she wrote it. Yeah, but I also agree that it's, I, I agree that it's more nonfiction than fiction, but I think this kind of collective, autobiography kind of thing you know that's that's what I, I believe she calls it a kind of collective autobiography of a whole kind of generation which of course includes yeah. her um so there is this kind yeah. of element you know the the broader element to it than just a memoir yeah there's definitely a lot there to kind of speak to the culture and the experience of these people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do you think it should have been on the man booker international <laughs> yeah i think i think it should i, I actually yeah um uh, i actually like that there's you know kind of a variety of of styles you know you could you could yeah. kind of argue that this is a sort of french style you know yeah. of, of yeah of the novel you know it, we yeah. usually you get a lot of books that kind of blend uh, uh, fiction and nonfiction. You know, usually it's uh, like elements of autofiction, yeah. and uh, so this is just the case where it's more you know in in the direction of nonfiction than fiction. You know, but you and usually it's more fiction and <laughs> less a bit of elements of nonfiction. I really wish I would put more of these on the 
long list. They say there's novels, but a lot of these type of novel or autobiographical stories really need more attention. So I'm glad they did put Mm -hmm. it on the list because I may have never read it without it. Yeah, and I also think that like the way the National Book Award for Translated Literature, they put it all together kind of, which you can argue it's kind of, you know, how can you judge fiction with nonfiction together? You know, it's it's yeah. difficult, but at the same time, you know, these, um, if we don't, if we just exclude all translated nonfiction, is there really a prize for it? You know, like, would any or no get anything? <laughs> because I believe all of her books are kind of like these um, memoir, nonfiction um, stories, you know. Yeah, then, I don't think she would. Yeah, and and she's amazing. You know, I'm glad oh, that definitely. that this prize kind of you know p- pushed me to pick up this book because I don't know if I had, had would have picked it up otherwise. You know. Yeah, me too. I mean, I might have picked it up because it won the Warwick Prize, but mm-hmm. I'm glad I picked it up earlier, and I would yeah. definitely want to read her, all her other ones. Yeah, I already bought three, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like her style. Yeah, me too. What was your next pick? Okay, so my next one is uh, Sweet for Barbara Loden by Nathalie Legere, and this was translated by Cecile Menon and uh, Natasha Lerer, I think. I'm I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but um, it's a, a, a French book, and uh, it's this kind of, interesting examination of the 1970s kind of cult classic movie Wanda, which was directed by uh, Barbara Loden, who was an, uh, an actress. And this is her um, only, you know, directorial kind of work. And so this book is, is really unique, how it kind of blends autobiographical details of Barbara Loden's life. And then, the you know kind of film analysis and you know i love film so this is was like the perfect (laughs) book for me you know i was just like wow this is like one of my maybe top books of all time you know and uh, so i'm really excited to read more by this author and I, i i think that you don't even have to have seen wanda the movie of course it helps if you kind of are familiar uh, but um, I think you can just read it not knowing anything and still get a lot out of it. And I actually, uh, it was interesting that I hadn't even heard about this book, but then I read uh, Lost Children Archive, which of course isn't by Valeria Luiselli, which isn't translated, but that book has a lot of references to translated works, you know, especially by, yeah. by women. So that's where I first um, heard about it. And there were like, you know, little quotes in it from this book. And I was like, I have to check it out. You know, this sounds amazing. And I, I glad I did because uh, this really, this was really unique, you know, another kind of this, this, like we were talking about the years, there's again, this kind of blend between, you know, elements of fiction and, 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 and nonfiction no, I think French novels do do this a lot. Yeah, I haven't read that one. It's definitely one I need to check out. I haven't even read Valerie Lucelli's Lost Children archives yet either. Mm. I, I know it was kind of a polarizing book this year, and I personally really loved it. But I can, I at the same time, I kind of can see why some people had uh, problems with it. You know, but I just I was so happy kind of to see references to, you know, other works of literature and that weren't just, you know, uh, the classic Western canon, but were, you know, like Dasha Drindich, you know, and, and like this book, you know, like like works of uh, of world literature. And it, yeah. I think it comes from the fact that, you know, Valeria Luiselli, like we know her more in translation. You know, we've read, um, I've read some the, I read Faces in the Crowd this year too, which I loved. So we kind of 
know her more as like a translated author. But I, I like that she kind of, you know, sort of put, pulled this kind of side of, you know, literature into this kind of English language book. My next book is kind of a similar type of book, but the autobiographical biographical fiction type book. I bet you know which one it is. Mm. I the have Faculty a clue. Of Dreams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's on my list too. <laughs> yeah, that's by Sarah Strasberg and translated by Deborah Bregan Turner. I really love this book because I didn't know anything about Valerie Salandis mm-hmm. before this. And she's such an intense, extreme character. Yeah. yeah. But her radical feminist stuff is pretty full on. I definitely want to read her scum manifesto just to find out just how full on it is. Oh, I, I read excerpts from it. Actually, while I was reading this book, I was kind of, you know, inspired to check it out because I hadn't read it either. And yeah, it's, it is pretty full on, you know, <laughs> but, um, but I, I think it was really interesting. This kind of, you know, was it, what I felt was mo- the most interesting thing that it kind of read like, um, um, I don't know, an American book. I don't know why. Yeah. I felt all- <laughs> it did feel very I- American. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was thinking, wait, this is written by a Swedish author. You know, and it, because it's so like, um, you know, entrenched in kind of American culture, you know, and looking yeah. at America from different sides. Of course, there are like fictional elements to it, pretty kind of, yeah. you know, obvious fictional elements. But um, yeah, so it was kind of a very American story. And for those who don't know, it's basically the final years of her life pretty much around the her assassination attempt at Andy Warhol and the court proceedings that up until her death. So, so mm-hmm. that's basically fictionalised. Like Sarah Strasberg is kind of trying to do her take on what she thought might have happened based on what she knows happened and just trying to tell the story. Yeah, and I think at the same time, on the kind of a broader scale, she was trying to look at how kind of society tends to treat like these sort of radical thinkers, you know, and outsiders. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. But I want to read more from her. I did, I've read another one of her books, but I didn't enjoy it as much as this one. But I think she has some interesting insight and themes into towards like life in a psychiatric (laughs) hospital and like the the dehumanizing effects of it Mm -hmm. i I was thinking like it was kind of in the in this uh, sort of category of books like uh, the bell jar by sylvia plath and uh, yeah um, faces in the water by janet frame you know those kind of books i felt like it was kind of you could add this book to, you know, if you want to explore this kind of theme. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, my next one was uh, 77 by Guillermo Saccomano. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And it was translated by Andrea G. Lab- Labinger. Um, this one is from Argentina. And I generally really love books that look at the lives of ordinary people under a kind of um, corrupt regime or a dictatorship. And this book uh, takes place during the darkest days of the Videla dictatorship in Argentina. So as the title would suggest, it's 1977 uh, when it takes place. And it's sort of kind of, it's it's interesting because it's told in flashbacks that kind of jump back and forth from like uh, 30 years in the in the future and then back to 77. So it's kind of characters looking back at those events. The, uh, the main character is a teacher who's, you know, is kind of gets uh, uh, pulled into this con- kind of situation where he's trying to survive 
you know, because yeah. he, in a series of events, he kind of ends up helping these uh, underground revolutionaries. And at the same time, he is involved in a relationship with uh, a police officer, I believe. And so, but it, it was like this great uh, kind of overview of this atmosphere, you know, of violence and paranoia and uh, at the time, you know, and it also has these elements uh, of kind of the mystical and uh, occult and this co this combination really worked for me. Um, I, it was one of those books that, you know, educated me, but at the same time, I was kind of on the edge of my seat to the very end because I just couldn't put it down, you know. It kind of reads like... Uh, like a noir novel, you know, no, noir-inspired novel. Yeah, I read that one this year as well and really enjoyed it, but I substituted it for another Argentinian novel instead. Okay. <laughs> so what what, what uh, did you pick? The Tunnel oh, by Ernesto yeah. Stavato, and that was translated by Margaret Sayer Pendon. Mm -hmm. I really love this book. It's... I feel like I was reading it on my Kindle and I wanted to highlight pretty much every line in the book. Mm -hmm. It's just so fantastic. It's full of existential dread, which I love to read. It felt like this guy should have had a MySpace page because he had some a lot of <laughs> angst to explore. <laughs> <laughs> the original email. <laughs> Yeah, there was, I, I just love reading that. <laughs> no, I, I, would, I get book, what you right? mean. Yeah, yeah, and I loved it too, yeah. <laughs> but you kind of have to be in the mood for this kind of stuff, you know, this kind of existential, you know. Yeah, uh, well, must have been the right time because even reading it on the Kindle, I enjoyed it. And I don't normally like to use an e-reader. yeah. So I need a paperback copy of it and reread it sometime. Mm. But I do worry I would highlight every page. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the Kindle is very useful, you know. Yeah. It's useful for that. Mm -hmm. Like if I look, I've got something like 37 highlights. Yeah, and it's a book. pretty short book. It's only 160 pages, maybe less than that. But I really appreciate something so angsty and it was just <laughs> the right time for it i guess the plot of it is about a artist and his relationship with a woman that he's like obsessed with and fantasizes over and his mm -hmm. obsession kind of takes over his life mm -hmm. there's more that happens but i think i probably don't want to talk about the plot because i think it's just an experience to have yeah, i think it's one of the <laughs> where the plot maybe isn't that kind of important. It's really how it's no. written. Yeah. Yeah, it was great writing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I love Argentinian literature. Definitely some of the classic Argentinian books are amazing to read. And I love, it feels almost French, but also a little Russian as, at times as well, their style. Yeah, especially it gets into kind of the, the sort of darker subject matter. Yeah, and with the um, political climate, it mm -hmm. kind of, you look at that suffocating oppression that happens with all the mm -hmm. different power changes. Yeah, and how it, how it affects the, like the human psyche, you know, that like the, the, the violence gets kind of, you know, translated into like the actions of the people, you know. Yeah. What, what did you pick next? Next on my list is also an Argentinian novel, actually. <laughs> uh, so, it, But it's uh, The Wind That Lays Waste by Selva Almada. It was translated by Chris Andrews. This is a very, also very short book, uh, really like a novella. And I think it's interesting, it's interesting because it's the whole story takes place over uh, a single day. Uh, in a kind of car workshop in a remote area in Argentina. And it's one of those very deceptively simple but intense stories where, you know, you have this unplanned meeting between uh, these 
characters with with very kind of um, opposing worldviews and beliefs, and it's how it looks at how their confrontation kind of um, alters the fates, you know, of, of of both sides. That sounds really interesting. I don't know if I've looked at that one. Who published that? It's from uh, Charcoal Press. Uh, oh, of course, usually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do excellent stuff, you know. I've never been disappointed yeah. in their books. Yeah, I may actually have a copy of it that I don't realise, but you can't go wrong with Charcoal. Yeah, and I believe that it, it kind of flew under the radar a bit, you know, compared to yeah. maybe their other releases. But at the same time, I'm seeing it pop up on many of the best of the year lists. So people actually read it and, and really enjoyed it. It was maybe just wasn't talked about that much. I don't know. But we're talking yeah. about it now. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to go double check, see if I've got a copy of it. Maybe I can fit it in before the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you could because it's very short. You could basically read it in a single sitting. And I, I would actually recommend reading it in kind of in one go because you can really get that sort of intensity, you know, and, and it's all about yeah. that constrained environment that brings out kind of the, the best and the worst aspects of these characters. And so it's kind of, I think it would be good to, to, you know, maintain that also in the reading process, you know, you just sit there constrained for kind of, you know, an hour or so and then read it, you know. My next book I think I probably have already talked about is Notes of a Crocodile by Quan Bajin, translated by Bonnie Hugh, which is a Taiwanese novel about a woman who is hiding her sexual identity like, lesbians and the queer community are treated as outsiders they're treated as crocodiles in this novel mm -hmm. and it's basically a coming of age story of a group of different queer people and the way that they tried to navigate the world where they're treated as crocodiles as outsiders and it's a really interesting way to portray the book because they're actually like treating these people as subhuman treating them as people well crocodiles and so the way they treat these people kind of a reflection on how the queer community gets treated mm -hmm. and it's really intense it's really sad a little uplifting at times but it's such an experience to read it and sadly she suicided not long after this book so that feeling she was putting on the page is definitely real and definitely heartbreaking mm -hmm. so is have it, you read it? I no i haven't i haven't read anything by this author but i I, th I think i have the book and would you say it's like kind of uh sort of collect like a short story collection that are kind of interconnected or is it like uh one no. one yeah, it's one story. It's like, uh, has a very postmodernist style. Mm -hmm. So you, you do have the different threads happening and not all the time that those threads going to tie up, but there is a lot going on. But I really love the way she has that intensity throughout the book. Mm -hmm. oh, it sounds very interesting. I, I need to check it out. I think it might be one of, one I'm going to put on my favorite show. I think it's also among the 100 best women in translation, like on, on that list. Yep, it is. Hmm. I voted for it. <laughs> that was one of my nominations, yeah. Okay. Um, so my next pick is uh, A Nail, A Rose by Madeleine Bourdeau. I, I believe that's how you pronounce it. And it was translated by... Faith Evans, and it's uh, originally from Belgium, and it's a collection of stories uh, by a kind of recently rediscovered author in you know in in the English speaking kind of world, um, yeah. um, and 
it's a collection of stories that focuses okay, on the lives of ordinary women and kind of their inner thoughts and secret desires and also kind of the damaging um, effects of uh, the pa patriarchy um, and the constraints that these women are in that prevent them from kind of expressing themselves. And, but at the yeah. same time, it's not like this kind of, you know, sob story, you know, these are not kind of these very just downtrodden women, women, uh, a lot of these protagonists, um, kind of demonstrate this very, um, you know, incredible resolve and resilience, you know, and in some cases yeah. even take like radical action in, in spite of the, the, the kind of circumstances. So I really enjoyed it. And I was actually kind of surprised by how modern it felt, you know, like it was a, a collection, I believe from kind of the forties or something. I, I don't remember, yeah. but, but I was really surprised that it felt like it was written like now. You know, I'm actually surprised it didn't get much attention. Like it was one of those books that seemed like it should have got more attention than it did. I think it's the case with a lot of short story collections. You know, people kind yeah. of tend to, you know, pick up novels more. So I, I believe there are two novels of hers that are translated. So I really want to check out those. So this was kind of yeah. just my introduction to the author, but I was really impressed. It'd be interesting to see how she goes in the English-speaking world because I think she's one that could have a great impact if people actually start reading her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She feels like, you know, these classic authors, like she should be in this kind yeah. of list of classic authors. Yeah, she definitely needs to be. Mm -hmm. uh, what should I pick next? I'll go a classic as, again. Death and Spring by mm. Rotorua, um, translated by Martha Tennant. This is one I read really recently. It's so weird and surreal, but I yeah. loved every second of it. Um, it's almost just kind of Lynchian story, really. <laughs> yeah, well, I keep comparing it to Midsummer. Mm, the movie, yeah, I can see because, that. Because, you know, you've got a lot of nature. It feels like a very sunny book. But mm -hmm. then you've got these weird rituals, a weird culture that you're exploring. And it's just so disorienting the way it throws you in this town. And you're just learning about these cultures that seem like they're just so weird. But you, you begin to see that these cultures are not there for traditional religious reasons but to control the people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just a fascinating very layered book i wish i knew more about catalan history and about rotorua because i feel like there's a lot in there that she's not well that i don't know because i'm not aware of the history mm -hmm. i was surprised how kind of dark it was. I wasn't really expecting it to be this kind of very dark story. Yeah. And, like, there's a lot of strange things going in, happening, like, from the start where he sees his father try and kill himself mm -hmm. and then the villagers pour cement down his throat and puts him into the tree to be buried. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's pretty much how it starts and it just can continues with that weird dark bizarreness throughout yeah and I, I wonder is this kind of her usual style like are uh her other stories like in a similar kind of vein are they all kind of these dark you know um kind of creepy almost <laughs> stories <laughs> or is this um, one just what like... i've heard no i heard mm -hmm. a lot of my short stories are about infidelity and about how that ruins the relationship and ruins the marriage and hurts the wife mm -hmm. which so is interesting because stories. yeah yeah 
I believe she was the mistress herself, so she, I feel like she may be trying to understand what the wife might be going through. Mm, mm-hmm. And apparently she submitted Death in Spring for a literary prize, and it didn't win, so she was told to keep working on it and spent 23 years or something to try oh, wow. and perfect it. But, but apparently she died before finishing it. So mm-hmm. there's probably so many layers in this that I'm not aware of. Yeah, every word is carefully chosen. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate that. It was such a weird book. Yeah, and I think it's one of those books that you kind of um, you get something out of it every time that you read it. Like you notice different stuff. You, you maybe if you, the more you learn also about you know the whole history of the country. Yeah. You you kind of pick up on more stuff in, in the book. Yeah, I definitely gonna have to reread it because it was such a wild story. I don't think I could really explain it. Mm-hmm. But definitely a highlight of the year for me. Yeah, so what my you- my next pick uh, is uh, how the soldier repairs the gramophone by Sasha Stanisic. And um, I actually read it in Latvian, but it's also invi- available in English, and, and the English version is translated by Anthea Bell. So it's a German book, uh, but uh, the author is kind of uh, from Bosnian descent. So this book really focuses on the Bosnian War, and the main character grows up in this. Um, in, in the city of Visegrad, and uh, you see this kind of um, kaleidoscopic uh, assembly of, of characters. You know, they're very, a lot of them are very kind of eccentric, and there's a lot of humor in this book. Um, you see the kind of daily lives of these characters, and then it all comes to kind of a sudden, really, end when the war comes. And soldiers invade the city and, and, you know, people get killed and uh, the family is forced to flee to Germany. And then yeah. after, after a while, uh, the, the, the main character comes back and kind of tries to, you know, um, reconcile with the sort of childhood memories and tries to kind of, you know, almost regain those childhood days and um, but of course everything is completely changed and yeah so it's also kind of this um, powerful story about the power of uh, and joy of storytelling and that really we as people each of us have their own you know specific story that only we tell and we should you know tell it we should in Either just by talking or, or, or writing it down, we should all kind of take take our story and, and and express it. That sounds really good. It's I was worried we were going to have too many overlaps, <laughs> but I think you've talked about a lot of books I haven't read yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, this one I think it's important. I I would really encourage people to read it, especially like you know with. Some of the stuff that happened in the literary world this year, I think it's a, yeah. it's a book that people should really pick up and read this perspective. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know what I'm alluding to. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I'm not going to say his name either. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just going to say that, it, you know, there's kind of what I would say is a Nobel Prize fiasco this year. Um, (laughs) you know i i believe this author was one of the authors that you know immediately sort of came out with his kind of statement you know because he obviously his family was affected by the bosnian war and um so i i think this it's important to kind of, you know, a lot of people will now pick up books by a Nobel Prize winning author. So I would really want to encourage people to kind of look at the other side too and pick up these yeah. stories to kind of get the picture. I think that's one of the reasons I love reading translations is to 
explore the world in different countries and what they experienced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with a post-Soviet novel, The Sphinx by Tatiana Tolstoya, translated by J- Jamie Gabriel. And this is another weird novel. I think most of my picks are weird novels. Mm-hmm. I have a type. <laughs> but this is a like dystopian post-apocalyptic world. It's set in a place which used to be Moscow after the nuclear holocaust kind of wiped everything out. And they're just trying to rebuild the civilization. And the main character kind of gets a job as a transcriber. And his job is to transcribe all these old works of literature and turn them into the works of this their new great leader. It kind of has a very um, Nabokov kind of feel if you've read Pale Fire, that kind of mm-hmm. exploring the literature, literature and how we misinterpret literature and how we try and analyse literature strangely. But then there's that whole, like, postmodern, post-apocalyptic type style. So things like A Clockwork Orange probably might come to mind when you think of that. And mm-hmm. just the way the government's trying to control, like, it feels very much like this leader's trying to rebuild the Soviet Union and trying to censor the words and make it sound like... It feels very much like a Stalin-type character. It's just a really interesting book to see that, like, that power and that rise to power kind of play out. Mm-hmm. It sounds amazing. That's one of the books I really want to get to uh, because I read her short story collection, Ethereal Worlds, I think it was called, yeah. and I really enjoyed it. I, I, I really like her kind of voice, you know, very strong, yeah. like distinct voice in, in, in the stories. And um, so, yeah, I'm very interested in that yeah. one. I can't remember the name of the story in Ethereal Worlds, but it was a story about this woman dating a professor. Mm-hmm. It was like really dark and humorous. Yeah. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, but I, I don't remember the title either. Yeah, but that, that, that kind of style really came through in this book, and I think mm. that was one of my favorites in the collection as well. Yeah, I really like that kind so, of dark sense of humor. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. definitely, this is for you if you like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I need to read it. All right. What else do you have? Um, so another book that I have on my list is a Lithuanian book, and it's uh, Memoirs of a Life Cut Short by Richardas Gavilis, and it was translated by Jade Will. And this is a really interesting book about about this kind of what you – what you may call this homo sovieticus kind of, <laughs> you know, the Soviet person. It's kind of a coming of age story for a Soviet person. You know, you see the kind of development of an ordinary person in Soviet conditions. And what's interesting about this book is that it's written in kind of epistolary form, but the letters are written kind of beyond the grave from the protagonist to his uh, friend and teacher, where he kind of lays out his whole life story from his early days um, and his kind of rise to the upper echelons of the Communist Party. And then it's kind of, you know, the last days of his life and this kind of also sort of disenchantment with the system. And it, it just... The book, I think, brilliantly kind of illustrates this sort of kind of, you know, the effects of, of the yeah. Soviet system on the human psyche kind of specific element of, of you know, that it's set in the Baltics because it, it, there is a difference, you know, you get, you, you know, there's a lot of stories about the Soviet period, but actually you would get different stories from like different post-Soviet countries. You know what I'm yeah. trying to say? Like there's this kind of specific yeah. element to it where maybe it's it's kind of would be a new perspective for a lot of people yeah. on that time. Um, <laughs> I'm beginning to wonder why I've never read this. 
This definitely <laughs> sounds like a book I should read. Yeah, I would definitely recommend you to read it. I think you would really like it because I think you you, you kind of lean toward these, these kind of political stories. Yeah, I like to see the way people try and survive in such intense political situations. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are living in that world now, so we're kind of learning it ourselves. Yeah, but exactly. I still enjoy. <laughs> I still enjoy reading it. Yeah, so this is one I, I think a lot of people haven't read, and I really recommend it. Um, it's from um, Vagabond Voices, who have yep. published a lot of really great Baltic literature. Well, you are the resident Baltic ex- literary expert, right? Yeah. But it's very ironic because people usually ask me for recommendations. And then I kind of look at the list of books that have been translated, you know, from the three Baltic states to English. And it just so happens that there's a lot of books that I haven't read, you know. Yeah. Those are the ones that get picked to get translated (laughs) for some reason. I feel like Latvia is missing out. They don't get translated enough as Estonia or Lithuania. Yeah, well, I hope that's going to change with, you know, the, the recognition and attention that in Soviet milk by Nora Ikstena got, like, you know, the past year. Yeah. That that is going to have an impact on, on you know, more books from not just Latvia, but, you know, the Baltics in general, that they, they get more attention. Because I like weird books, I'll go for another weird one. I think they're all weird, all right. Uh, Paradise Rot by Jennifer Haval, translated mm-hmm. by Marja Idris. And I watched Raw last night. You know how disturbing and sickening that movie is? Yeah. <laughs> this, this it's a great horror that, film. <laughs> yeah, this book kind of has that kind of same sort of feel. They're like living in this abandoned hospital i think it is and there's just mold growing throughout the house and the mold's getting so bad in the bathrooms that mushrooms are growing in the bathroom it's just really <laughs> yikes <laughs> it's a really hyper sensory kind of experience and i read this while i was feeling sick so <laughs> i think that probably <laughs> elevated that like that real intense imagery. It was just so full on. And there's just so much that's happening in the book. It's kind of, they tell the story of how the house is just getting more and more covered in mold, but they're using that as a metaphor to explore this queer relationship and how damaged and how messed up it's getting. And it's a really interesting comparison between their relationship and what's happening with the house around them. Mm-hmm. And Jenny Haval is a fantastic musician as well. Yeah. So I was going to mention definitely. it. I've, I've listened to her <laughs> music. I haven't read the book, but I'm. it sounds very yeah. intriguing. Yeah. And, yeah, like if you like her music, you probably get a kind of sense of just that intensity and style that she likes to go for. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I recommend that one. And another one of my picks, um, it's a nonfiction book, and it's When Death Takes Something From You, Give It Back by Ornaya Marie Eid. I should have checked these names, really. <laughs> but it's translated by Denise Newman, and it's from Denmark. And this is a very powerful and an intense book um, about dealing with trauma and the kind of struggle to find the w- right words to express the feelings of grief and you know, finding the strength to move on from a tragic loss of a loved one. So the um, this is, of course, based in the author's experience. Uh, she lost her 25-year-old son like in a tragic accident. Yeah. So this is kind of like the uh, a memoir where... It's like, um, you know, you get that intensity from the first days, you know, that kind of shock and the fragments, yeah. you know, it's all written in kind of like these fragmented memories, which re- really perfectly reflect this kind of, you know, state of, of trauma. And, you know, as the author, I think she, she says in the book that you know, sorrow cannot be 
cured. But, you know, this is the her attempt to kind of voice and articulate these almost, you know, unspeakable feelings that I think a lot of people who have gone through a traumatic event in their lives could get some kind of, you know, they could relate to it, I think, and kind of find some comfort yeah. from it. So it was, uh, it's very short, but it's it's intense. It's it's really intense. That was doing quite well for itself. Mm -hmm. I think I've seen it on a few lists, best of lists. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'll do a non-fiction memoir as well. That's The Little Girl on the Ice Flow by Adelaide Bond, translated by Tina Kova. Mm. And this is a kind of survival memoir, and she's exploring... Well, starting off, she's not quite sure what's wrong with her. She's going to therapy and trying to work out why she has these intense emotions, like a smell or a phrase or a sound could really set her off. And a lot of times she feels like she's an outsider, not in control of her own body. And she kind of tells this memoir like she's the outsider just watching this happen to herself. Mm-hmm. And it's a real, it's like beautiful writing, just really wonderful to read but it is such an intense sad memoir on sexual assault and what happened to her as a young girl and try to like gain her herself back try to put herself back together and understand what happened and get closure and move on it's such an intense book hard to talk about but one that i really think was worth checking out and one that i would recommend reading if you can get through that kind of sex like trying to navigate that sexual assault it's so difficult to write about and i think she did an excellent job of communicating her experience mm -hmm. that's another one i really want to read i was listening to the episode that you did on this book and i'm just you know it, it i'm always prioritizing different other books because when are you in the mood to read about sexual assault really <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah it's like a 200 page book i thought oh, i'll read this in a week or a couple of days at least and it took me so long to try and get through it because i just needed to step away and have a break mm -hmm. but the writing's just so good you want to keep reading and you, the writing brings you back, even though the subject matter, like, goes, no, I need a break from this. And, but you, it keeps pulling you back. So I think that's the writing saved the book. Otherwise, I don't think I could have finished it because it was just so intense. Mm hmm. No, it sounds like an, one, an important read. Yeah. Do you have any books left? <laughs> I think that's it for me, actually. I was okay. just wondering. I was just wondering. Um, how do you think there are uh, there were books this year that kind of you know like last year we had some books uh, like convenience store woman and uh, um, that kind of broke into the mainstream. You know, they yeah. were very popular. That people who usually don't pick up translations, they they read it. Do you think there are there's a book this year like that? I can't actually think of one. I'm trying to think of one that might have done that, but I'm really struggling to find one that actually did that this year. Mm -hmm. I I would say that um uh I th I believe that uh Olga Tokarczuk's book Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. I I, I think the Fitzgerald edition came out last year, but the US edition came out this year, I think. Yeah. Well, so, with her winning the Nobel Prize yeah, last yeah. year, I think she's definitely got um, some attention. Unfortunately, she has to share that attention. But yeah, I think like I, I prefer her other book, Flights. But yeah, me too. But I think <laughs> at the same time, this book is a good kind of you know introduction where you yeah. if you want to recommend someone something in translation. You would probably go with this book, not flights. You know, of course, it yeah, depends on the this, person. But this this one is more probably more accessible because it's got more of a plot. Mm -hmm. The drive to plow. I, I enjoyed the book, but I, I'm excited to read the book of Jacob. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I can't wait for that one. Although it's really long, I think it's like nine hundred pages or something. 
Yeah. I think that's coming out next year. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, later that one, next year, yeah. Yeah, sometime, or even like uh, in 2022, maybe? I heard like it was, I think it was maybe pushed even back into oh, no. 21, well, 22, or something. But I might be wrong. Okay, well, well next year we've got another Eleanor Bronte, so that'll be the one for next year. I could call yeah, it Yeah, have you read all the Neapolitan novels? I've read the Neapolitan novels. I really enjoyed the story. I think it's definitely worth reading. But I think my favourite of hers is Days of Abandonment, which is one of her short novellas. She, I think one of her first books she wrote. Mm-hmm. So you would like recommend that over the uh, Neapolitan novels? Well, yeah, if you like Days of Abandonment, then read the Neapolitan novels. But I think Days of Abandonment have similar themes, mm-hmm. like 120 pages instead of four books. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think there's a reason they're popular. They're definitely an interesting story. I yeah. just don't talk about it as much because I feel like it gets enough attention as it is. Yeah, but I'm glad that at least it's a book that uh, it's one of those books that a lot of people who don't usually pick up translations, they will pick this one up. Yeah. Do you have any reading plans or goals for next year? Oh, uh, actually, I, I was thinking that I, I'd like to read more, you know, return to reading more classics because Obviously, this year I read a lot of new releases and uh, yeah. I would sort of want to get back to reading more of, you know, backlist titles and um, also more genre novels because uh, oh, yeah. this year um, for October, I kind of read a whole series of books uh, that are horror in translation and really enjoy them. A lot of them were completely unknown to me before. And um, I, I would like to explore that kind of side of translated lit more. Yeah. I think that is something we don't look at the genre stuff as much. Mm-hmm. I guess you have to read a lot of Joe Nesbo. <laughs> Well, I'm not big on crime, but I'm I'm looking forward to like sci-fi or or, or maybe older crime novels. You know, like like yeah. uh, uh, Vertigo. You know, the, the the book. I don't remember the author's name, but uh, it's the book that the movie Vertigo was based. And I I really enjoyed that one. That was kind of in that line of uh, yeah. Vertigo. Kind of there's a whole line of these old kind of crime stories. And I, I I enjoyed that kind of stuff more than these sort of Scandi noir. Of course, they're very popular and a lot of people really like them, but I don't know. It's something I just can't get into them. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I, I don't know what it is, but I don't know if I connect with it either. And I, I normally like a good crime story, a good detective story, but they're not for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are your plans for next year? I actually want to read more bigger books. Mm-hmm. Like I spent a month reading Duck's Newburyport by Lucy Elman and really loved that experience. That's a that thousand whole, like, page book. One book. Yeah. Like that was intense. I almost finished 2666 by Roberto Bellagio and I You're think still that reading it? <laughs> I took a huge break after like after reading part four, I put that book down. For when a long did we start time. reading it? Because we read it as a buddy read, but then you sort of took a break. Yeah, it was um, June or July, I think we did it. And <laughs> like I put it down after finishing part four because it was so intense. Yeah, and I know what like, you mean. I, I think I had Women in Translation Month, so I focused on that and I didn't pick it up recently and i'm just getting through part five now so finishing that one off so overall what are your thoughts on it i like it i i I much prefer savage detectives Mm -hmm. which is more closely like part one in the book is similar kind of style Mm -hmm. 
as Savage Detectives. I kind of like that part the most. Mm-hmm. It is such a full-on book, but I think I'm going to enjoy it more once I finished it. Just that sense of achievement is going to definitely help. Yeah, it was only my second Bologna book, so maybe not the, like, the best pick <laughs> for, no. you know. <laughs> but I really liked easy. it. Yeah. yeah, I liked it. Of course, part more. four was, sorry. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, part four is so hard. I, I like his style. I just think part four, just, just that intense descriptions of all the sexual assaults that were happening. It just got a bit mm-hmm. much for me. And I think Yeah, the fact it's almost that, like a list, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think the fact the book was a complete he died before completing this book and it should be five different books kind of makes it feel more like a collection of stories, short stories almost. Mm-hmm. I really like the part about the critics, you know, the 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 sort of the people yeah. who yeah, who were kind of obsessed that with was, this author. That was part one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, my really. Favorite. Yeah, I really yeah, like that I, one. I like that. I like that he made up this fictional author, and then has this whole critique and criticism around this author that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seems like a lot of work, but it really worked well. Yeah, it's got. It's yeah. one of those books about almost books about books. Yeah, kind of story that I think a lot of you know readers, like avid readers, really enjoy. Yeah, so I think I've got to find some of the bigger translation books, like the Catholic School, and oh, maybe yeah. work on those. Yeah, so that's my goal next year, try and get through some of those big ones. Mm-hmm. At least have one on the go at all times. Yeah, another one of my goals is kind of to go through um, the Laszlo Krasnokorkai books. You know, that he said that the, the this last one that came out is kind of like a, culmination of the that they are linked like satan tango yeah. the melancholy of resistance war and war and this last one are sort of like this part of kind of this one big story so i kind of yeah. want to go through chronicle chronological order and read them you know that'd be an interesting yeah um, exploration i mean he's really a very like you know erudite and like author and the books are really dense at least you know the stuff that i've read yeah. but there's something that i really enjoy in his in his kind of this sort of yeah. like these obsessions you know i like authors who have like these obsessions <laughs> with like c- certain themes with that, literature <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so they kind of explore the same thing in in different forms yeah kind of like that so um, I think he's one of those authors who ha- has these these themes that he c- keeps returning to. You should also make it a goal next year to make more videos. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've actually been thinking about that, and uh, uh, I, I I've been seeing more people. Like it's it's a weird thing whenever I see like new people join the community, and especially people who, you know, read maybe not the stuff that like, most people read no, then yeah. I get yeah then I get inspired to kind of come come back so I, I'm kind of in that mindset now so maybe it will happen I reckon you should <laughs> if I could do it anyone could do it yeah well you also found a new kind of like um, direction yeah so that's exciting yeah. too let's see how that goes all right well thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was this was fun, you know, to just look yeah. back at the year of reading. It's like we probably went on longer than we probably needed to, but there was more books. But it's a wrap-up episode, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I'll leave your social media links in the show notes so people can follow you and make sure you post more videos and <laughs> write more blog entries and all that kind of stuff. Mm. <laughs> thank you so much yeah thank you alright goodbye Bye. if you want to support Lost in Translations please go to patreon.com forward slash translations pod and all money there will help support the show and please remember to subscribe and while subscribing please rate the show this will help others find the podcast 
All our links to social media are in the show notes and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and Let's See Under Translations Pod. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Walgarukabar and Bindal people. We acknowledge their ownership of this land and all the traditional owners in Australia and acknowledge their care of the land. This is a Macaulay Flower production. <laughs>